ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's time for What Do You Call It Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special episode of What Do You Call It? podcast i'm your host gb and today's guest was formerly known by his ring name sucker knight or a lot of you fans do remember as Tucker. he was one half of heavy machinery please give it up for levi cooper also i apologize for the terrible terrible rights impression how are you doing today sir doing good doing really good thank you for having me uh, excited to be here and uh no i thought your impression was just fine you know it was uh Thank you. Yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit too low pitched. Got to get a little higher on it, but otherwise, uh, I could feel the energy in it. The energy was there, but that is the main thing. As long as I don't make an ask myself, that's all good. Thank you for coming today. As I stated in the beginning, it's a special episode. Genuine fan, and um, as I've been on social media, I've been I've been looking forward to this for a while. So it's going to be fun. Before we talk about your pro wrestling career, um, you're actually a former All American wrestler. At, um, it was at Arizona State University. Uh, the reason I mention this is because sometimes wrestlers get into sort of map-based wrestling and amateur wrestling because of pro wrestling. Was that the case for you? It wasn't actually, no. Uh, the reason I got into amateur wrestling was because I, I wanted to play American football in college, actually. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, it was just uh, like I was playing basketball growing up and uh, – in sixth grade, so I think I was 12 when I started um, wrestling. Mm -hmm. um, and let me see, they, the seasons were different in, in middle school, but not in high school. So in middle school, I could wrestle and I could play basketball both because they were each like eight or 10 week seasons. Um, and so I was actually quite a good basketball player. I mean, I knew my role. My dad was like, Hey, you see that area with that's colored, you know, the pink is hot. Like, <laughs> you, you don't leave that area. Like if someone comes in it, you always touch them, whatever. So, uh, you know, my dad was always pretty realistic with me and, uh, you know, sort of knew that I started playing football as a third grader tackle football. So, you know, I've been, I've been playing going into high school for six years and, that was what I wanted to do, you know, after high school, I wanted to go to college and play football mm -hmm. um, originally. So he was just kind of like, look, man, there's a lot of six foot white guys that can't jump very high. Like you fall into that category, you know, like even if you're as best as you could possibly be at basketball, you're probably not going to be good enough to, you know, be anything other than like a starter at, on a high school team. Whereas in wrestling, like you're pretty good at it. You have good feet for a big guy. And if ultimately what you want to do is play football, you know, wrestling is going to help kind of parlay better into that avenue. So, mm. you know, that was sort of uh, the way that I kind of got into into wrestling initially. Um, well, actually, initially, initially was because I rode the bus home and I was just bored. Like I rode the bus home one day after basketball practice, my sixth grade year, just sitting at home doing nothing. Like, mm, this ain't for me. And uh, I, I'm going to just I'll try out wrestling. Oh, fair play. Fair play. Um when did you actually discover pro wrestling? Yeah, so I mean, I at the, I did watch it at the time, mm -hmm. right? I was born in 1990, so I was coming of age during the Attitude Era, you know, during the Monday, like Monday Night Wars, then kind of morphing into the Attitude Era. So, you know, me and my friends, of course, we, you know, hit each other with moves on the trampoline and jumped off the couch and gave each other elbow drops and stuff during 
during middle school, you know, and I, I would say probably the top, my main fandom was from like 10 to 14, you know, that kind of four years. So it would be 2000 yeah. to 2004. Um, it was never anything like I would see some pay-per-views at my friend's house, but it was never anything my parents really were around. And like, you know, we weren't poor, but we didn't have like a lot of extra money to be spending on pay-per-views or anything like that. So, um, you know, I was just catching it when I could kind of, and this is obviously pre-internet. So, or, I mean, not it's, it existed, but it wasn't really an accessible thing at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, nobody was watching anything on it, certainly. So, you know, yeah, I, I paid attention, um, you know, during that time was, was a big stone cold fan. Of course, he's the man dude. And, uh, uh, once I got really serious about sports and wanted knew I wanted to play sports in college, you know, that was kind of a hundred percent of my focus or, or really a lot of my focus. Like I used to ski and ride four wheelers, you know, and do that kind of stuff. I gave that up when I was 15 because I didn't trust myself. I knew like, I'm kind of maniac on this. Like I, I'm not capable of not being like, oh, that guy went down that hill. I'm going to go down that hill. And, uh, and I knew if I hurt myself and kind of jeopardized my athletic career, that would, uh, I was, I wouldn't be pleased with myself. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was kind of, you know, the way that my, you know, sort of mentality was at, mm. at the time coming of age, you know, growing up and pro wrestling really wasn't on, uh, wasn't on my radar too much in terms of a potential career. Um, you know, at that time, like I said, I was, I was pretty deep in, into athletics and ultimately that led me to be a division one college athlete. Um, and you know, when I, when I was finishing up, essentially I, I was recruited by Gerald Briscoe, you know, uh, my senior year in college. Um, I met, I meet with him at uh, Cliff Keen Las Vegas Invitational um, probably December of 2012, I want to say, or, or maybe January 2013. We have a couple of conversations, exchange information. Yeah. I graduate from college in May of that year, um, go out to Florida in June and uh, have a tryout and ultimately end up getting hired like four weeks later on my 23rd birthday was the day that they actually called me <laughs> to hire me. So, wow, um, yeah, <laughs> well, was, guess. you know, it was an interesting way sort of that, I got into it because um, obviously, you know, the, the vast majority of people that end up in mm. NXT and in WWE, it's, it's sort of something that they pursue for quite a long time before they make it there. And, and so I, I totally understand that kind of me and a few other athletes like me had somewhat um, unique scenarios that brought them into uh, professional wrestling, you know, and when I was done in college, I got to be honest, man, I was ready to uh, have an accounting degree and I was I was ready to be done being an athlete. You know, or I at least had sort of taken mental ownership of the fact that like, hey, you know, I, I might be done being an athlete at this point, um, you know, and, and I was meeting with recruiters also about positions for, you know, in Ernst and Young and uh, KPMG and the, the big four accounting firms, essentially. So. When WWE sort of became an, an option or an opportunity, you know, it was like, well, do you want to wear a suit every day and explain numbers to people? Or do you <laughs> want to like continue some level of athletic endeavor and do what seems like it would be way more enjoyable and, and just like a cool, crazy experience that, you know, is never going to come around again and, and doesn't come around for very many people. So, mm. um, you know, that was kind of the way I got into it was just, it was the best opportunity that I had at the time. And, uh, and I was ready to kind of make the most of it. 
No, that's awesome, mate. That's quite a unique way of getting to WWE. As you stated, that's very rare in this sort of day and age. Everyone, majority of the people that do go, that get signed by WWE, have that sort of independent background and, you know, wrestling background. Whereas you have sort of uh, an athletic background, which in a way is tailor-made for the performance centre, which I do want to ask you about. What was your first impression of the WWE performance centre? I mean, you know, it's a pretty awesome building, right? It's, mm-hmm. uh, well, and so I actually had my tryout in Tampa. I was the last tryout that, that took place at the FCW building in Tampa, which is nothing compared to the Performance Center, right? It's a, it's a warehouse space with other, you know, in like a warehouse strip mall, basically. It had two wrestling rings in it, no gym. Um, so... You know, having that sort of be my first experience and, and knowing right there, I think I had my trout in June. The Performance Center opened in July. I started in January. So it had been open for six months before I got there. Yeah. Um, but obviously they knew like, you know, I'm only, they're only one month away from the move when I have my tryout. So everybody knows the PC is going to be a thing, right? But it's not open at the time. So... Yeah, I mean, c- compared to uh, my first time in a wrestling ring was at my tryout in Tampa. So, you know, compared to, you know, having that experience for three days and then, you know, ultimately, basically, I didn't go to Orlando before I, I started work. You know, mm-hmm. I meet my now wife and I, we shopped for apartments online and uh, and ended up, you know, we both had cars. And so we both drove our cars cross country. All right. I live in on the West Coast of America uh, in Oregon, We're actually in Washington. But I lived in Oregon at the time. So we're driving over 3,000 miles, was probably like 4,500 kilometers, something like that. Um, you know, it's a, that's quite a journey, quite a trip. Yeah, that's commitment. That is. So, you know, just that piece of it too, right? Of like, you know, I'm going to a place that we, we literally don't know anyone. Uh, yeah. And we're like just picking our lives up and going for it. It mm. was, I mean, it's cool and very exciting. Exciting, but kind of scary a little bit. Yeah, definitely, you know. Um, I think just backing up real quick, it, I mm. think it was maybe a little easier for me because in my college journey, I went to three different schools. I, I just had some unfortunate luck that these schools uh, discontinued their wrestling programs. You know, it wasn't like I was fucking up or anything. It just, <laughs> it just unfortunate circumstances yeah. that were completely out of my control. And so when I went to Arizona State, I only knew one person and that I met like a few times that I was going to stay with. And otherwise, like I just talked to the coaches on the phone Basically, I knew that I didn't have a good enough heavyweight. I thought I could be the guy. And I walked on. And so I think, and I, I remember, vividly remember driving to Arizona, like, all right, here we go, dude. Like, you can make yourself into whatever you want. No one knows you. Like, it's up to you now, you know. You're making yeah. a bet on yourself. And, and that ultimately paid off for me. And so moving to Florida, I think it was a little easier because I'd already kind of done that one time to some extent. Um you know, and then it's a big time culture shock walking into the performance center, right? It's, you know, it's a thing, like I said, I've only been in a wrestling ring at my tryout for a couple of days. I, um, I remember like the jargon, the lexicon of professional wrestling being something that I hadn't really considered, right? As being a sort of a barrier. Yeah. As like an immediate barrier. People were talking about all these different terminology, you know, sort of what you would say in- insider terminology, right? Talking about the heat, talking about the shine, talking about gimmicks, talking about, you know, whatever. I mean, we're talking about, yeah, I mean, just all the different things, talking about the, all the names of the different moves, right? All this stuff that I knew some of, but I, I didn't know 
like you can't really know until unless you really sought it out or something yeah start doing yourself and then knowledge yeah. is giving you that right so i i remember that being like an immediate thing like oh man i gotta like <laughs> gotta pick I, up a little bit yeah <laughs> or just yeah like um i know this might be a stupid question guys but you know you're talking about heat and i don't really know what you mean when you say it and i need you to explain it to me please uh did you, you find know, any sort of because of your lack of knowledge, did you find any backlash or any sort of resentment towards not knowing the full terms or was everyone sort of not really that bothered about that? They could see that you were still learning and dedicated to doing this. Um, yeah, I would say in general, um, obviously, like in general, if you're coming in, you don't have any wrestling experience, you're, you know, you're expected to hold yourself maybe to a different standard than someone who's been in the business for seven or eight years, right? Yeah. Because, and, and I don't like, I don't take any necessarily offense to that, right? I understand it's like, hey, like we're gatekeeping this a little bit for a reason because like you do need to understand and appreciate the foundation with which this thing is built on, the people that came before you, the sacrifices they made, the way mm -hmm. that they went about doing the business, right? Like, you need to learn well you should learn about those things and respect those things in order to just appreciate the art right and, and yeah. to be the best performer that you can be like you i think you can't just discount all of the people that have come before you so you need you know you're expected to learn and and gain knowledge about that kind of stuff right and it, it's you know um if you don't do it, then you get let go within a year, probably, right? So it's, yeah. I, mean, I saw plenty of people come and go in less than a year, you know? I mean, when I started, from the day I started at the Performance Center, right, the group of people that I was with when I walked in the building, when I moved up to the main roster five years later, there was only three people still in the building that I started with. Every other face was new for oh, talent. Yeah. Coaches and office was still similar, but, yeah. you know, talent. So you're talking about, you know, 95% turnover over a five-year period. It's mental. Um, you know, so it's it's a highly competitive environment. And, yeah, you, like, you know, like I said earlier, you just, you're expected to, to learn. Though. If you don't know those things, it's not that, like, people are automatically going to label you as, as whatever, right? Especially if you're mm. coming from a different – people understand, right? Hey, look who wouldn't take this opportunity, right? You know, like if you hold this against me that I took this opportunity, that's on you, not on me, right? I'm not going to like mm. kiss your ass or whatever to try to make you like me, you know? I'm going to get down to work. I'm going to mm. be very In a way, you'd actually out. have to work harder. Yeah, well, I mean, yes, I just, yeah, you do have to like, you know, you got to pay your proverbial dues, right? Yeah. Like, for a whole year, I didn't wrestle any matches, right? And I wasn't ready to wrestle any matches. I still went to all the shows. I set up and tore down the ring. I worked security. I watched the matches, right? And this is the way that I sort of like mm. had my trial by fire. And if I wasn't willing to do those things, I wouldn't have made it, right? I, I But I was willing to humble myself and say, hey, like, I don't know anything about this. And for me, I think that was an advantage because didn't, I'm speaking to my own personality and the way that kind of I am that since I didn't know anything, right, I have no preconceived notions and I'm able to get, you know, I'm getting information and knowledge from the very cream of the crop as it pertains mm. to, you know, the wrestling industry, right? So, you know, all, all good habits essentially, right? We're talking about like how to work safely and, and sort of how to tell stories and all of these different kinds of things. You know, I, like I said, didn't have any preconceived notions because I hadn't done this before. So, I'm able to just kind of take in all the knowledge that that has been, you know, sort of given to me and mm -hmm. 
and kind of just accept it willingly without any like, oh, I don't think that's right or I don't think this is right because I don't know in the first place. No, that's cool, man. I understand that. I didn't realize there was like a lot more to it, and especially for someone that didn't really have the experience, like um, sort of uh, an independent wrestler. I sort of really enjoyed listening to you explain that to me and the listeners as well. Um, in the first few months, in your, like, I think it was 2015, uh, you were part of the Shoot Nation uh, on the NXT local shows. Uh, it featured yourself, Chad Gable, Jason Jordan, Sawyer Fulton, and Angela Dawkins. Was there any ever was there any discussion to bring you up to TV, like? maybe not even just NXT, but to the main roster straight away. Um, just unfortunately, we didn't really see you guys on the TV, but you know, I, I like the idea of it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, typically like you're not as a talent, you're not getting a lot of that kind of information, right. About those discussions, particularly if they don't come to fruition, mm-hmm. you know, once, once they've made a decision, Hey, we're going to do this, then that's the time that it's going to be shared with you. But there's not a lot of like, Oh, we're thinking about maybe doing this or that. I mean, obviously, like we knew that like they don't, they wouldn't let us do it if it wasn't under some level of consideration, you yeah. know, but at that time in the performance center was pretty fundamentally different from maybe a year or two, a year or two later. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, there wasn't like a full NXT crew of writers and pr- production, right? It was all, all the people who wrote for NXT at the time were, were working on and so they just knew what was on tv Mm -hmm. what was already on tv so i want to say like we we, you know we kind of did it was it was an idea that that had come from someone in the office and and you know or i mean it was back and forth right we talked about hey we want to do this amateur wrestling faction you have all these guys here like you know, what do you think about it? Okay, like, we'll give it, you know, we'll let you guys try it out on, on the live events and kind of see. And, uh, and it was, it worked out well enough that we, we did a promo in front of, you know, the, I believe it was Chris Chambers at the time. And uh, trying to think of who else was, I can't remember, but um, there was, you know, kind of down and and you knew, okay, it was, hey, you know, these are the guys who sort of, with Triple H make the decisions on who's going to be moving on, who's going to be on television or not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember that promo, I feeling like that promo went pretty well. Um, and ultimately I don't know what, why it didn't, uh, happen. I know, you know, a couple of us were still fairly green at the time. You know, I was, me and Gable both came in at the same time, Gable and I should say. And so, you know, I mean, he was more advanced than I was. We're still had only been there for a couple of years. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly why it didn't happen. I, uh, I would guess that there was maybe some discussion around, hey, do we want to have a group of people that are calling themselves like shooters, and does that potentially delegitimize other people's gimmicks in the eyes yeah. of the audience? If these guys are, we're saying these guys are very legit, does that, you know, make other people less legit potentially? So. Um, I feel like there was a little bit of that discussion going on at the time, whether that was where that was coming from. I'm not exactly sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, and I, I think of being a piece of what piece of that is happening with with Otis at Gable currently on television. I think, you know, mm, I was I mean, literally going to say that for the Academy. It's that. Yeah. You know, there's an origin of of that, I think, coming around. And I also feel like Diamond Mine a little bit was uh, mm. was 
kind of it felt quite similar when I, I mean, I didn't watch it. I wasn't watching on TV. I just saw it on social media, but the vibe and sort of like the look felt quite similar to, um, you know, what we had been going for. Yeah, cool, man. Um, as we know, talent usually submit a list of first names and surnames whilst in NXT uh, to determine what their name will be. It uh, will be. So I'm always fascinated by this. I want to know, um, do you remember any other names that you had submitted other than Tucker Knight, which would become your permanent name? And was there, is there any actually specific meaning towards Tucker Knight? So no, there's not any meaning. Um, yeah, there was, I, I remember I sent like 20 names in. I mean, this is, like I said, I've only had like six, six matches maybe at the time when I'm sending these names in. Mm-hmm. So like, I didn't even know that this would ultimately become its its sort of final form, right? Um, and then, yeah, I think I sent in, like, 15 names, and I probably got, like, a three, three back. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. This is, like, five years ago what the... <laughs> what the other ones were. I know like the surname Knight was was two, like was I think I think I got four back and it was three of the four was that surname. Um so the reason I ultimately chose the Tucker was because I liked TK. Like I thought I could maybe use TKO um you know and just try some different so I I that was the kind of the initials that I liked the best. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point in early in Heavy Machinery in NXT, we tried to get our names changed to Tank and Doze, Tank and Dozer, um, but it wouldn't pass legal. From at least, at least that was the explanation I was given: was we can't get the rights to Tank, and we probably can't get the rights to Dozer either. So can't do that. Ah, sweet. I, I mean, I thought that would have been <laughs> cool. You know, I think that yeah. Tank and Dozer Heavy Machinery would have been pretty awesome, in my opinion. Uh, as you have just mentioned them, I am going to be talking about Heavy Machinery and your tag team partner, Otis. Sorry, smiling. Just He just makes me smile. Well, I'm not recently because he's, he's shaved and he's all serious now. But you uh, formed a memorable tag team, uh, a very popular one as well, before we, unfortunately it would be broken up, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But so I want to know, what was your first impression of Otis? Because you two just had such... You just had such great chemistry. So, you know, I just want to hear about Otis and how you two were at first. Yeah, man. I mean, so the first time we ever met each other was uh, when, he, when he, like, first first came into town for his tryout, actually. Because him and Gable had been boys, right? They wrestled together at the Olympic Training Center. They were both, you know, high-level Greco guys. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so Gable was an Olympian, right, yeah. uh, in 2012. And then uh, uh, Otis, Niko Bogoyevich is his name, was uh, thir- at third on the Greco ladder, you know, at senior level. And and ultimately, one time went to the, the our, our top heavyweight, got injured before the Pan, Pan Am Games. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he went to the Pan Am Games and, and got a bronze um, in like 2015, I want to say. 2016 maybe so um you know that was sort of anyway so I met him I remember getting him from the airport or whatever and uh you know obviously man he's just like just a wild guy you know just like so he is actually like that in in real life like so yeah I mean straight away obviously I don't know if it was straight away but like there was I mean he was just fun to be around right so it was no like 
hey, like you're a wrestler, so obviously you already have that in common. Yeah. And then on top of that, we're both heavyweights. And like Gable likes to joke that all heavyweights are the same. Like oh, all you heavyweights are the same. Right? And, and, and it's kind of true to a certain degree, right? Because, you know, we never cut weight typically. So we're always like happy eating food. And not, mm -hmm. like, never kind of like the miserable wrestler spitting in the corner or whatever <laughs> to sort of get with plastics on or whatever kind of yeah. you know, horrible visions you get of someone cutting weight. Um, you know, and and... Yeah, so, I mean, I enjoyed him, and, and we'd hung out a couple of different times um, before we ultimately, you know, wrestled together. Um, I think he had he had been working for maybe three months or so when we got together, and, and he was doing a lot of uh, the opening match and, you know, was doing his thing and getting over a little bit. And uh, Matt Bloom actually head coach, Tensai, uh, you know, Giant Bernard, big guy. Prince Albert. He, uh, <laughs> it was his idea originally to put us together, you know, so kind of approached me and, and we had a little talk about it. And um, I said, yeah, let's, you know, let's try it out. And uh, I don't know if it was immediately, but it became apparent quite quickly that like, oh, we have something here. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know what it is, but like there's this foundational understanding between the two of us, which is we're both like kind of uh, middle-class, small-town kids, right? And and that kind of has its own upbringing, at least in America, in terms of sort of values and and just kind of your experience, I guess you would say. Um, so as we kind of talked about our childhoods a little bit and, and the way our families were, um, you know, and, and sort of just the values of, of the society around us, um, it was pretty similar, you know, we had similar worldviews, not that that's like a necessarily a thing and, and we, we part ways in some places, but I think at its core, we, we had a, a pretty profound respect for one another, um, pretty quickly. And then that respect only was elevated by the fact that we were both high level amateur wrestlers. Right. And so mm. that, that also comes with the level of, um, just like, Hey, you know, we know exactly what kind of work each other has has been willing to put in to get to where they were in amateur wrestling and we respect what each other's done and we're not going to try to like measure dicks about who did what where no like hey you did that I did this like good shit you know like now we're a team we're together and like we're going to try to take over the world together mm. so and I you know I don't think a lot I don't say a lot but like not every, you know, not every team has that. Even if teams have been successful, don't necessarily have that. And, you know, that brotherhood just kind of continued to grow over time. Um, we definitely have kind of a big brother, little brother relationship, um, you know, and um, I, I just, he was such a great human being with such a great heart that, um, you know, I felt responsible for taking care of him right in, inside and outside of the ring and uh you know i have a younger brother um and my young brother has asperger's um you know and and so some pieces of his childhood was more difficult than mine um uh, particularly yeah. around school right and i was very protective over him um in, in some of those elements right uh, yeah and so yeah. that kind of was pretty natural as it pertained to like my character inside of inside of the team but not just inside of that but also like I said outside of it um you know on a much more real level so and you know I mean both we've we've met each other's families and we've stayed at each other's houses and and that's the brotherhood that we were able to form over those couple of years is something that will last forever irregardless of whether we 
are able to uh, step inside of a ring together again, which, you know, God willing, we will be able to someday. Um, you know, I think both of us feel like we have unfinished business and, uh, and there was definitely more things creatively that we could have explored as a team. Um, but yeah, I mean that, you know, particularly the first year and a half in NXT, man, was just quite enjoyable, you know, cause I'd been there for almost three years when we got together and uh, maybe two and a half actually. So, you know, and I hadn't like, it wasn't that I was floundering necessarily, but I also mm -hmm. hadn't really gotten any traction. You know, I hadn't really gotten close to being maybe on television um, other than just kind of on the, you know, job side, I guess you could say, or, or just that early experience side. I didn't, hadn't necessarily had like a, a complete package that was like, okay, here's a character that we're sort of ready to put on television before the two of us got together, you know? And so, um, once we, yeah, once we got going after the first three or four months, um, I was like, oh, okay. Like I've never felt like this before inside of professional wrestling. Like now this is, this is something new and it's not like, it's not easy, but it works, right? It's like, okay, mm. I know kind of what works here. And we're like, you know, yeah, it's just, it's working and, and it's feeling much different than any time that I've kind of felt inside of the ring before, um, you know, and yeah, we were just really, we were able to grow on that. And, and, you know, I think there's a lot of elements that made us really good, um, you know, outside of just our genuine brotherhood that sort of comes across, I feel like. Um, also, you know, sort of the things that I have a lot of, and he, he's sort of lacking in, and, and there's some areas where I lack that, uh, you know, he's, right, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, he's not very articulate, no disrespect to him, right? He's, a, he's, fucking crazy he's a wild man so like <laughs> to have someone who can like just stand there and like speak slowly and 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 very deliberately if necessary or like need to speed it up and get a bunch of information out really quickly I can do that right or if I need to emphasize something whatever it is like that's my strength as a or as an orator so um to to be allow him to just like hey dude just be wild like just be yourself don't worry about mm. you don't have to remember nothing you don't have to get any information out like I'll take care of that and you just be entertaining, you know? And like that, uh, like I said, that's, that allowed both of us the freedom to, um, you know, really, yeah, just kind of- uh, Make magic, honestly. Like, right, you know? Yeah, yeah. You and, had a following, the fans loved you guys. Like, I I'm, I actually feel like a bit of a prick because I would have to talk about the breakup now, just after hearing all that, you know, the true friendship. It wasn't just for TV. And I think it did, it, it made it so much better. Like you two were just such a good pairing. And I will get to that breakup because I, I mean, I'm only a fan, but it was shit. But because it went, it led, it led to nowhere, but we will get to that. But um, no, that, I really enjoyed hearing that. Like, I was basically a lovable guy. That's just not him on TV. He's awesome. And, you know, you two as a tag team were fucking great. You know, I really did really enjoy you guys. Um, in 2018, whilst you were in NXT, you were part of the Greatest Royal Rumble. Um, as it said, basically, you were there to sort of help with the local talent tryouts in Saudi Arabia. Uh, were there any stand sorry, any standout talents, or was it just done to get a Saudi hero sort of over? Um, even though sort of you'd only been working the Indies for like three years at that point, did you have you know was that the case, or was it just to elevate or sort of do some tryouts? Um, I mean, certainly the quality of athlete there was not the quality of athlete at a typical American tryout, you know, yeah. but I mean, you know, they have no recruiting pipeline happening in Saudi Arabia either. Right. So it's like, you know, you're, you, like you're probably not touching on all the best guys. If you only have 
been looking for you know three or four months and you basically have like one person looking yeah um you know in america you got all kinds of right you have pipelines they have like you know like they have jerry briscoe right i don't think i mean he's he's not doing that job anymore but at the time right he's responsible for pounding the amateur wrestling pavement and 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 he, that's it that's what he does he goes to all the wrestling shows and so you know i think that was a barrier for them um i think ultimately yeah they're trying to find a couple people that they could hire and have moved mm -hmm. to Florida and be able to, you know, at the time, I mean, it's like, okay, well, we've signed a 10 year deal and like, we need to, we need to try to get a, a Saudi guy over, you know? And, uh, you know, Mansoor, who's, who's still there was, he flew from America over to Saudi oh, did Arabia. He? Oh, yeah. Wow. So he's a Saudi national, but he'd been living in the States. We didn't tell anyone this. He's a smart man, good worker, fucking good on him. <laughs> and, uh, because he obviously spoke good English as well. I mean, most of the guys spoke good English, but yeah. Um, say so. Yeah. So he he flew over. He'd been trained at Dory Funk School for a while, and, and so he was the only person there that had any wrestling experience, you know. And so he was clearly and obviously the best. Um, there was a couple other good athletes. There was a dude who was a kickboxer. Um, he was about the same size as Mansoor, I would say. I think Faisal was his name. Um, I mean, he could do like, you know, he could do standing backflips and he could do like good, like a kickboxing high kicks, right? And I mean, yeah. obviously he yeah, was explosive and had good balance and stuff. Um, but he wasn't as big as probably someone. I mean, obviously, like I said, he's probably like 5'8", 160. So like not, not maybe even shorter than that. Not your, not your ideal guy. There was two people I remember that were, I can't remember their names. They were both six foot or so. The one where I think had worked in for the KSA, right? The military, he was a boxer, but he had been like, I think they like, in similar to how the army has a boxing team in America and a wrestling team, I think their army or, or whatever it is has, you know, has a sports sort of division and you like fight for the government essentially and they pay for you to train or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, and he was a pretty decent athlete. And then there was another guy that I think was, a, was like a, division below the top division in football soccer in Saudi Arabia and it was there and he was pretty good too and those like and those were the four guys that ultimately ended up doing the segment on that show with yeah. the Dubari brothers awesome um, do you have any other memories and, and I know they tried to hire I know they tried to hire two of those guys to come over and and it ended up not working out for whatever reason I'm not exactly mm. sure what happened um but you know i mean yeah so i was over there for two weeks basically um yeah and i actually had a really good time you know we were mm. we were in Jeddah, which i've been Jeddah twice been Riyadh once and uh Jeddah definitely more progressive than Riyadh, right it's on the red it's on the red sea and it's just like you could tell they're trying to attract tourism much harder than you know Riyadh. Riyadh's obviously the capital and it's more staunchly uh you know religiously conservative i guess you would say um mm. which obviously the country is extremely religious religiously conservative um the, it, the interesting thing about it was well i mean there's a lot of interesting things but kind of so they have compounds behind the wall in saudi arabia mm -hmm. and so there's kind of two police there's the ksa which is like the government the military and then there's the religious police and the religious police are the ones who are there, like in charge of enforcing Shia law in the country. And they have no jurisdiction in people's private 
areas, right? So once you're behind a wall, then you can kind of do like what you want to some extent because the religious police have no, so I remember we went to like a beach club, like a private beach club. And there was people there like in, in American beach wear, right? Like bikinis, board shorts. Like it, it felt like sort of like an American beach yeah. as opposed to obviously that's a stark contrast to what a woman's required to wear in public. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so, you know, so that's, I mean, it's not really that big of a deal coming from America, but uh, yeah, I think we've mm. been there for maybe a week at, after we, and we went to the beach club and it's, whoa, this is kind of, kind of wild, you know? And <laughs> I know some of the, like one of the doctors we were with and maybe I can't remember exactly who else, but they ended up going to like a party at the Italian consulate at one point. And, and they, you know, like they allow those countries to bring in alcohol as long as the alcohol doesn't leave the compound. Mm -hmm. um, so from what I understand, like there's still a decent amount of debauchery that exists in Saudi Arabia, but it all just happens behind the wall. And so you sort of need to be plugged in socially from what I understand to kind of like have a really good time there. Yeah, um, but the, I, you know, I mean, the people were awesome, and they had really great food. I remember, especially seafood was was so good. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, we had a bad experience, obviously, at one point in time. Um, oh, when you, so how much of that was true? That was reported, by the way. I mean, I'm not trying to pitch for headlines and that, but like me, us, the fans, and the internet and the dirt sheets, they were reporting that you all got stuck in a hotel and no, well, in the airport, and you wasn't allowed to leave. Like, is that all true? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So obviously, no one like I. I don't know for sure what happened. Mm -hmm. You know, I know, I know what I what I was told basically, and um, you know. So I'll just I won't even speculate. I'll just basically tell you tell you exactly what you know. I kind of know. It's like we left the show. We got to what's the executive arrivals area, which is like the kind of private hangar of the airport, and. And we sat there for probably five hours or something. Couldn't get any information, right? We're not figuring out what's happened. Can't, I don't know. We're just like, nobody knows. It's a big group. We're getting sort of conflicting reports. Um, ultimately, we get led onto the airplane. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we board all the way up, right? This is, like I said, we've probably been sitting there for five hours before we get on the plane. Um, we sit on the plane for probably two hours and... I remember the pilot saying, like, we, they, we're ready to go and the plane's good to go, but we haven't gotten clearance, essentially. Like, they're not giving us clearance, right, mm -hmm. or whatever. So, uh, so we, then we have to get back off the plane. And, uh, you know, so like I said, we don't have any – I don't have any good information about it, but that's – and so we go to a hotel, then we come back, and the next night – Right. And so, uh, so in my mind, I think they just, they held us up because they were trying to make us miss SmackDown, which we ultimately did do. And, and yeah. uh, so I heard a cameraman say on one of the buses that he heard over his headset, he heard the, the man, the boss saying to cut the feed, to cut the fucking feed. So from what I understand, their, their bills hadn't been paid. Right. Mm. And so, you know, and, and it was reported that the Saudi feed got cut for like 30 minutes or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I don't know because I just, this is what I've heard, but kind of sounds like got into a billionaire pissy match, you know, and like, <laughs> we, you know, we weren't getting paid. So we cut the feed and 
you know, ultimately they don't want to make it a big enough deal that it becomes an international incident. So we'll hold them up for 24 hours, make them miss the show. And then, you know, it is what it is. Uh, mm. So I, I do remember also once that when we were going to leave, like we got through the executive arrivals area and the day before we just got right on the plane. Right. Well, I guess in the 24 hours that they had moved our plane because other people were coming or whatever. Well, we didn't know this. So our plane was over at the, at the main terminal. Yeah. So we all get on these bus, like people mover type buses. And all of a sudden it's like, we've been on them for three or four minutes and we're like in the middle of the desert, basically going between the executive arrivals and the main one. Everybody's like, yo, what's, what's fucking going on here, guys? Like, uh, where are we going? You know? Cause like I said, nobody told us like, oh, your plane's 20 minutes away. So you got to get on these buses. It was just like, get on the bus. They're going to take you right to your plane. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, there's nothing around. Like, what, where are we going to this alleged plane where there's like, <laughs> you know? So I remember that being like, I mean, I was never really worried, worried, right? I'm like, they're not going to make this a big international incident in my no. opinion, right? It's like, they're just trying to mess with us a little bit. So my wife was pissed, right? I mean, super pissed and uh, rightfully so. So, you know, and I was, I, I didn't, um, I was never asked to go to Saudi Arabia again after that. I was prepared to say, hey, I don't want to go. Like, I'm, I don't want to do this again, you know? Uh, yeah. You know, not that that hasn't like anything to do with, Saudi Arabia necessarily, but just kind of that business arrangement. It's like, hey, I don't want to be a part of this business arrangement mm. anymore, you know, because... You just want to go out there and do your job. That's it. And like the first thing went, it was, like you said, it was awesome, but then that yeah. happened. <laughs> yeah, the two weeks, the two weeks was great, man. You know, mm. it was... Uh, and I got to make my main roster debut, right? So that was awesome too. Oh, awesome, man. No, I appreciate telling me the story. It's just... That was really cool, actually. I was sort of kind of gripped in. I felt I was moving closer to the camera. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Basically, we're going to go back to WWE, and I want to talk about you and Otis quickly. Well, it's more about you as well, actually. It's basically, as with many other talent in WWE, Otis and yourself, randomly, you basically stopped having a surname. Uh, I know this is still a constant theme that still happened today. Uh, were you given a reason for the name change, or was it just, that's it? So, I mean, like, we weren't consulted about it or anything, right? It was like, we heard about it on mm. the internet or something probably so which is, <laughs> which is par for the course you know it's not like that's i mean it shouldn't be but it is um so the reason i was given which actually i mean i don't think it it makes sense but it doesn't make sense so basically mm -hmm. the reason that i understand was that uh and that this happens more often than not is basically seconds on television right and that vince didn't like how long it took for the announcer to say Tucker Knight, Otis Dozovic, heavy machinery. Right, when we're coming to the ring. That's the reason, right? And I mean, based on some of the other conversations that I have heard about, you know, sort of those like around break spots and just around like seconds on television in general and how yeah. often that comes up in conversation, you know, way more than it probably should, in my opinion. There's not, people aren't looking over the big picture as much as mm. uh, whatever. I mean, that's a, a story for another time, but um yeah that's that's what i heard you know and and i could believe it because i've heard very similar things like that kind of said and, and given for reasons just like well otis and tucker heavy machinery that's that's much quicker and less convoluted than the announcer having to spit out both of our last names so we're just going to shit can those last names that's uh, fair yeah it's I mean, really funny like, like really bugs fans 
when wrestlers lose their last name? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I, think, it's, me, but, I yeah. think it's part of the larger issue that bugs fans, which is like doing things with no explanation or for no reason, right? Mm. It's like, hey, you guys can pull on the levers of whatever you want. And so when you do things that seemingly make no sense or you do them for no reason or they contradict things that you've done in the past and you don't have, and you just like take it as canon that fans will accept it without, you know, then sometimes that feels like your intelligence is being insulted as a fan, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that to me, that's kind of, it's not like that incident necessarily, but just that like, different things like that continue to happen. Mm -hmm. And as a fan, you're like, well, you know, like I get that this is, is, you know, um, is, is storytelling. I get that this is, um, you know, not, not uh, an athletic contest in the same way that a tennis match is, but I don't want to go to a movie and, and be able to see the cameraman, right. Or, or whatever the case may be. Like, mm -hmm. I want to be able to, get emotionally whipped up in what's happening and be able to suspend my disbelief. And so if you continue to insult my intelligence, uh, that makes it much less likely that I'm going to be able to just continue to overlook things and, and just accept them for what they are when, you know, they got to make a little bit of sense. Right. I mean, so. No, I, I agree. To me, that's agree. kind of, you know, and it falls in line with, you know, the Otis and Mandy story, right. Mm -hmm. and, and the Otis and me, and just like, you know, what, how, I mean, yeah, you're just insulting the fans or not just insulting their intelligence. But to me, I think it really hurts long-term storytelling in general. It hurts the talent because mm. I believe it makes fans less likely to buy into the next long-term story when you like, when you legitimately have them bought into something and then, you know, you, you don't have the proper ending to it or you have no ending at all, essentially, you know, and, and. I think as it pertains to Mandy and Otis, they probably got way more mileage out of that than they thought that they were going to initially be able to get. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think it was initially supposed to be something that went to WrestleMania, but it just sort of like caught fire. And, um, you know, and I think that's a testament to all the people that were involved in it and, and how willing we all were to, to, you know, just kind of talk about it as a group and try to make it happen as best as we possibly could, you know, and um, the, woman Andrea who isn't working there anymore but who was working on that she came from television previously you know and uh, it was quite a pleasure to work with her as a writer mm. um you know and so then to see that sort of just right hey you have probably one of your main storylines like in terms of fan investment and not just diehard fans but you're actually like getting casual fans in on this and to me that's like super valuable so then to just have them go their separate ways. And we're going to be like, like Otis would just forget about a girl like Mandy. We're supposed to believe that. We're supposed yeah. to believe that he's just be like, mm, yeah, she went to a different brand. So that's okay. After he spent like a year pursuing her and that being a big part of why the story was so endearing in the first place. It's like, well, yeah, that's, I mean, that, you know, that sucks. Right. As, as, I mean, as an audience member, I think it sucks. It does, um, but it must because, be more frustrating for you as the talent to be going for this. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, and, and yeah, it's just frustrating all the way around, you know, because, yeah, I mean, people put a lot of work, people put a lot of effort into that. And, you know, I suspect they kind of had them go their separate ways because they didn't want either of them to be heels mm -hmm. at the time, right? That was, and they're like, how do we kind of, how do we break this off without, 
making one of them look bad. You know, I don't know. I don't know. That's just my speculation. Uh, but it's kind of the only thing that really makes sense in any, I mean, it doesn't make mm. sense, but it's like, well, and then they turned out as heel anyways. So it's like, you know, yeah. I mean, you do, you and it's the same with our stories. Then... Like, if you, like, if you're going to fire me, then just have him kick my ass, mm. you know, like next week or whatever, have him, have him hunt me down and have him beat my ass because it doesn't do any of us any good to just, to not do anything, right? Like, that makes him look stupid for like, oh, your, your brother and best friend of, of two years, like, hits you in the head with the briefcase and cost you your opportunity to potentially be mm. world heavyweight champ. And then you're nothing. just going to fucking go about your life like nothing happened. You know? No it's revenge, like, no match. That's so no match stupid. Rule. It's just like, what are you doing? You know, that doesn't, like, how does that help anyone? You know, that doesn't help anyone. That's it like, did, it didn't know what I mean, yeah, fuck, you know, it was... Uh, I mean, I, I, mean, I mean, as a fan, I, I was so say, happy but, to... but for you, like, to have to go through that, and the fact that, like, Otis, basically, after that, then you get jobbed out to Ricochet, like, I know I sound like I'm an absolute fanboy, but just, you know, we're the audience, you know, just, well, you just had him turn hill, and lose the money in the back match, a guaranteed contract, and, you know, they're, they're practically brothers, you know, been teamed up for many, many years, that's it, nothing, it was just, yeah. oh, it was so shit, man. Yeah, it was, you know, I mean, and ultimately, you know, it, was, uh, it ended up the way that it ended up, mm. you know, and that's disappointing. Um, I mean, and yeah, as somebody who like has studied the business enough to know that once that, like the Monday after the Sunday, I was like, I already like, I ain't going to give up here, but like, mm, it's not looking good for me. Like, I know what a good turn looks like and how that happens the next day and like, you know, I'm wrestling on main event against Humberto Carrillo the next month, the very next day. With no explanation. And, uh, like. and then, well, yeah, and then a week later, then I wrestled Ricochet. So yeah. it's just like, well, yeah, this ain't, you know, and. Um, did yeah, they present to you when they, when the hill turned in happened just before it, did they say, we're going to do a long-term booking? So like next week, okay, Otis is going to come out. Because I know you got drafted to Raw and Otis was on SmackDown which at the same time didn't make any sense anyway to begin with because you were the tag team. But did they give you any explanation, tell you anything, or was it just like, oh, no, you're on main event, then you're going to go against Ricochet? Was it yeah, just I mean, like that? So just like that, yeah. So, I mean, my my really only regret that I have is I wish I would have told them no about hitting him, about doing the turn because, like, that happened so last minute and so last second. I should have known better, but I didn't. And I, yeah. you know... I mean, kind of going back, it was like, it was a really tough time because obviously COVID's happening, right? And so, yeah. you know, kind of that's, that has its own effect. Everybody had to deal with that. Um, and then, you know, Otis wins the Money in the Bank contract. And there for like a few months, I'm not even being brought to television, right? I'm, I'm just at home. So, um, you know, I, I suspect they're potentially, I don't know. I don't know what, what was exactly happening around that. Mm. Um because I know them giving him the briefcase was kind of last minute too, right? And so obviously I want like I want our tag team to continue, you know, I want to keep doing, but by the same coin, like I mean, this I do really love my brother, and I and I mm. this is his dream way more than it was my dream ever, you know. Yeah, and I respect the shit out of that because like I said, he like this is his thing, and this is what he's wanted to do from as long as he can remember, you know, and not that I don't have a passion for professional wrestling and 
and that, you know, I, I love it and, and respect it and appreciate it. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think I always knew I wanted to do other things too. Not that I'm like done wrestling, but, you know, I know I want to coach, you know, I know I love mentoring and teaching and I, and I know that, you know, this thing is not, is a temporary thing. And so like, what kind of a friend would I be if selfishly, because I'm, I'm worried about what's going to happen to me. I, I try to like fuck up something that could be ultimately, I mean, he could legitimately win the world heavyweight championship here, right? Yeah. If, if they end up booking it correctly or, or, or whatever the case may be. And like, you know, that's something that could change your life forever. That's something that no one can ever take away from you. So, you know, that was, that was like, that was conflict there, right. For me, mm. because like I said, I don't like, I'm not, I, I mean, everybody's a little selfish, but I'm not like, a, I'm not, you know, going to die about my brother's success than I cared about my own success. The truth. And yeah. that's truthfully the honest, you know, whether people believe that or not, like that's, that's really what it was for me. Mm. And, you know, I, I obviously I wanted heavy machinery to continue, but not at the cost of, of potentially impacting his, his career negatively in the long run. And so, you know, I kind of kept my mouth shut and I didn't, uh, I didn't press as hard as I should in some of those occasions, maybe. Mm. And then when the split ultimately happened, right? So yes, we moved to separate brands. And then I think we continued, you know, doing stuff together for like three weeks before the turn ultimately happened, right? Because we were still in the midst of the, of the, of the uh, Miz and Morrison, like the trial, right? We, we, oh, when I, yeah, Raw, when I yeah. went to Raw, the trial had not, had not commenced yet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and so then the, that weekend that the split happened, right, I got called on Thursday, maybe Wednesday evening, Wednesday afternoon, hey, we need you to come for SmackDown, because I'm only booked on, I was, you know, supposed to be booked on Raw, so... So I pack all my, you know, whatever. It's like, I, you know, this, this isn't like a rare occurrence, but it happens enough that it's something that really pisses me off because it doesn't have to be this way. And like, they're, they're all too pleased to make you leave your house in less than 24 hours. And like, and sorry, dude, you know, sorry that we didn't plan ahead or whatever. But like, you need to figure out. I mean, like I said, I get it, dude. I'm under contract. I'm getting paid this money to come. But the amount of times during COVID where I get a tech, like, you know, just come on, book it a week ahead of time. Or even yeah, man. A chance, it's a last right? minute, so, Joe, man. It's just just frustrating right it is a serious lack of respect to me especially in in a time where like safety is an issue when you have to travel but that's neither here nor there but anyway so that weekend I get called to go to Smackdown right you know so I'm going and I don't I'm not booked on Sunday still like I get I get to Orlando and we have an app an in-home app and um, if you have if you're booked on a specific date you have a dot on your calendar on the app, the TR app. So when I get in, I'm booked for Friday and I'm booked for Monday, but I'm not booked for Sunday, right? Okay, cool. So on Friday, we do the El Gran Gordo thing. Those in a mask, right? I thought yeah, it was I, announcing. <laughs> I think it's a pretty good segment. Um, and so then Saturday comes around, still, I still don't, I'm still not booked. Sunday morning, I'm still not booked, right? So I'm going to play golf in Florida. I'm driving to the golf course at like one o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And I get a text from travel from one of the girls who books flights. Hey, they need you at the arena. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going golfing and shit. So like, I'm not going to make two o'clock call time. You know, you guys literally just tell me one hour ahead of time. They're like, it's all right. 
just get there when you can. I'm like, all right, fine. So I get there probably around three o'clock and I, nobody talks to me for, I'm trying to figure out what's going on, right? I cannot get any answers until like almost five o'clock. This is a pay-per-view show. The show, show starts at seven. So like now looking back on it, I'm almost positive that like it was, it was pressured and put on me in the way that it was so that I would just do it and not ask questions. Yeah. Um, which is pretty much what ended up happening. You know, like I, I asked, I asked like, Hey, are we doing anything after that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Right. So like, I mean, yeah, they lied to me, but also I didn't do a good enough job of, of really pursuing it and, you know, taking agency over myself and being like, well, if this is going to be horrible for me in the long run, then I'm just not going to do it. You know, I, I should have done that. And I, I got to learn that lesson so I can, I can take that, yeah. you know, on my chest, but it doesn't mean that it was all on me, you know? Yeah. Understand. Um, so, you know, we, we do it. And I mean, I've watched it back one time, you know, was it the greatest turn of all time? No, but I, was it worthy of a fucking 10 minute match? Yes. Like you'll never, ever be able to convince me that like two of us couldn't have had a better 10 minute segment the next night than <laughs> half of what was on that TV show. Like you're just never going to convince me that. So, you know, and that ultimately uh, sucks because I mean, you know, Raw's three hours. You're telling me you don't missed, have a missed opportunity, right? Ten minutes on Monday Night Raw, three hours, five ten minute slot just to explain why you did it or something. But you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like it, it, it is frustrating, man. I mean, I just, I mean, I say it, but for for you to explain so, it, I mean, just it's just ten times worse. <laughs> it's uh. <laughs> You know, so the best I could glean, the best I could glean in terms of if there was a plan for me mm -hmm. was that there was when we were, when we were moved to different brands, right? They moved me to Raw because they wanted me to do Raw Underground from what I understand. But then in between the time I got moved to Raw and the time the turn happened, Raw Underground got canned and was no longer a segment on television. So... You know, ultimately, they have nothing for me. They don't know what to do with me. Uh, and I mean, if Raw Underground's a thing, who knows, right? Maybe two good showings on that, and I'm able to pull my amateur wrestling background out and get some legitimacy behind my name. Yeah. And, you know, or maybe maybe something happens, but that's that's not the way that it went down. You know, I get plugged into the 24-7 thing um, to get a little knock on my shoulder, you know, in that match where I won, I, I, I separated my shoulder a little bit so I, I wasn't cleared for like a month or so mm -hmm. um and then i was pretty much it you know damn man damn um i mean you st i mean i'm gonna because we are coming to the end of the interview i like to have a look at the time i was just generally listening and sort of going You're back good. and forth with you <laughs> um but like i mean I want to say what's next, but I have heard you say before at the moment, uh, I want to say congratulations, by the way. You're going to be um, a father. Uh, again, isn't it? Number two. Thank you. Cool. Um, so at the moment, there's no, I'm going to AEW, I'm going to MLW. That's, that's not what we're here to talk about, which is awesome. But I want to talk about some of the highlights of your career. Um, I want to basically ask who are some of your favourite opponents and who are some of your favourite people to hang out with other than Otis? Yeah, so I mean, my favorite match that I ever had was, uh, or the favorite match that we had was um, a live event match in Milwaukee with Eric Young and Alexander Wolf. Sanity, um, 
got the bear hug over I, you know it, for my for my opinion we had the, the match of the night mm. um i'm sure some people would disagree with that but uh <laughs> they're not here so fuck them <laughs> um you know we just tossed them back and forth in the bear hug and you know it was like i just remember like we got the first we did the first bear hug in that match and it was not a lot of not a big reaction and by the time we were in the heat they were chanting for the bear hug and Eric Young comes off the second rope to do like an axe handle and Otis catches him in a bear hug for a hope spot and the place fucking just goes absolutely bonkers and it's just like man you know like pro wrestling is so cool and and can be so simple and awesome if if when it's done correctly you know and just like yeah. when you have four people or two people that are willing to really work for the match and um you know so that was probably my favorite match um our first one our first pay-per-view match with uh daniel bryan and eric rowan um, oh was that stomping grounds pretty fun that's a quality uh, match yes really like that match and uh you know we 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 never got to wrestle on takeover you know and that was something that kind of we were a bit a bit bitter about i would say just because mm. We felt like there was some times that we could have had a we could have had a better match than maybe the ma the tag tag match that happened on Takeover, um, you know. And again, I mean, we're very competitive human beings, and so it's mm. not like we disparage anyone else's stuff. No, it's just like, hey, like we think if we if given the opportunity on a pay per view or a big show, like we can knock it out of the fucking park. But we haven't been yeah. given the opportunity, so finally, you know, we get that opportunity in Tacoma. And I just remember that being crazy, man, because Daniel, like, we're the baby faces and they're the heels. And we talk, we talk about in the back, like, we're, we're near Daniel Bryan's hometown. Like, he's probably going to get baby face reaction. But we're like, you guys are the baby faces and they're the heels. And like, irregardless of what the audience does, mm -hmm. we're, we're going in that direction. Like, we're going to have a match where you guys are the baby faces and there's, they're the heels. And man, we came out, dude. And it was like, holy shit. We just got booed, like <laughs> never been booed ever, you know? And it was like, not that I don't like to get booed or something, no, but just, it was just like, a bit of a surprise. Like, <laughs> you've only been getting pretty good pops, you know, yeah. whatever. Like, and so it was just like, I feel like it could have potentially been overwhelming. And for our first pay per view match, for it to be like reverse a reaction from what we've had for the last couple of years, mm. you know? And then, by the end, I feel like, you know, we, like, we're getting similar reactions to what they're getting in terms of, you know, ba baby face reaction and just that we didn't let it, that get to us at all. And, and I feel like we had a great, pretty great performance. Um, you know, for me afterwards, that was very emotional because to some extent, dude, you know, start to doubt yourself a little bit. If you like, man, I feel like we're good enough to do this, but like, we haven't been given, we haven't been given the shot and like, is that because I'm not seeing something? Is that, you know, I mean, ultimately, of course, you start to ask yourself these kinds of questions, you know, and so to do it and get, get kind of bring it around like that and, and just sort of have a moment afterwards, um, you know, I, I had a bit of cry for myself in, in a corner after that, just. Um, oh, I didn't realize that match meant so much you know, to you. I mean, was, I, I mean, as you know, a fan, I, just, I loved it, man. It it just been, yeah. Really, really good match. So 
you know, that um, we always had really great matches with um, the Forgotten Sons, Steve Cutler and Wesley Blake, now uh, Weston Blake. Um, and Steve's in uh, in TNA doing pretty well also. Mm. So I'm happy for him. Um, I don't know what it was about those guys and us, but it was just uh, creatively, you know, it was such a good collaborative effort every time. It was like people were... You know, there was never like a, no, we're not going to do that. It was always a, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. What if we added this to it or we did it like that or, you know, and that kind of just um, awesome positive flow of ideas. Um, you know, it's not always like that when you put it in a match together. Sometimes it can be quite the opposite and, and uh, combative to some extent um, if, if the kind of entities see the story going in uh, maybe opposite directions. So... You know, that, those guys we always loved working with. And, and I mean, it's particularly on the main roster, everyone's awesome. There's not, like, mm. no, everyone's there for a reason. There's, everyone knows what they're doing. And, uh, you know, everyone's, I, I mean, the New Day, obviously, was were great to work with. Loved working with those guys. Um, the times we got to work with the Usos, you know, and, and those are some of the guys I, I loved hanging out with, too, up there. Uh, the Usos in particular, you know, we would hang out with them quite often. Um, outside of of work and, and especially during the pandemic you know when we didn't have there's nowhere to really go so I can remember watching some UFC cards you know with them in hotels and, and just you know shooting the breeze kicking it um, uh, you know in NXT like when we would ride the bus and I, I remember fondly like getting lessons from you know like at one point in time it was Eric Young, Samoa Joe, Bobby Roode Shinsuke, uh, Finn was in the back. So it was just like, there's a wealth of knowledge back here. Oh, much talent in this bus right you know, now. <laughs> yeah, so just to, just to kind of like drink some beers with those guys on the back of the bus and kind of sit under the learning tree was things, very fond memories that I have. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Um, I used to hang out with uh, Sammy Callahan a lot before uh, when, when I first got to NXT and, and had, had a great time. Me and my wife would hang out with him and Jessica Havoc and and uh, always enjoyed hanging out with those guys. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, I'll always have great, great fond memories of, mm. of my entire time, you know, and, and just um, how fortunate I was to be able to spend time with so many amazing and talented people, you know, and even though it wasn't always positive at work. Um, yeah. But the paper you're with, man, like the atmosphere. Awesome. No, I like to hear that. Yeah. I mean, crates, like creativity, it wasn't the best, but the atmosphere, the people you're with, the road, like it just sounds like it was like it was great. And, you know, I mean, next year, 2020, I can't even count. <laughs> I'm still tired. Uh, 2022 is going to be the year you make an impact. That's not a pun, by the way, in case anyone thinks that being too much into it. Uh, just a few more questions and I'll let you enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, basically, I want to ask, because one of my mates wants to know, he's an AEW fan. Uh, you actually wrestled Alex Reynolds and John Silver um, on SmackDown, who are members of the Dark Order. If you do remember them, what would they like to wrestle? Yeah, I do. I do remember them. Yeah, uh, I remember... Can't, I can't remember to differentiate the two of them, but uh, I remember one of them. Which oh, one has the longer uh, um, beard? So the bald and beard is John Silver and long hair is Alex Reynolds. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I remember John Silver having like a, like red kind of uh, trunks that had a like the Turkish Turkish flag symbol on them. 
Um, I, yeah, I mean, I just, I remember it being great, you know, like, uh, mm -hmm. honestly, you know, anytime we kind of work with those, I, I mean, we always kind of took pride in, in trying to take care of those, you know, people and make sure that like, they like, you know, they're obviously here to do a particular job. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, to try to, I, I want to make sure we take care of these guys, you know, and make sure that they, you know, they have families too, and they're just trying to do this and like, we don't have to kill them to get over. Right. Um, but yeah, I remember them being, being super cool to work with. And, uh, and if I remember correctly, one of them had like a, like a suggestion that, that we ended up using too. We know we were sort of like talking about one, a particular spot and I think it was Alex was like, Oh, we might, you know, what, if, what if like, what if we did this and you did that and I did it like that? I'm like, Oh yeah, fuck, that's a good idea. You know? So, which I, I, I always appreciate that. Oh, awesome, mate. Awesome. Uh, we're going to wrap this up then officially. Uh, the final question, not what's your favorite match? What's your favorite opponent? Cause you have pretty much talked about your career highlights um, and sort of give me a rundown of your favorite opponents. It's only because I see the millennium Falcon behind you. What is your favorite Star Wars film? That is the last question. <laughs> oh man. Uh, <laughs> I think probably Return of the Jedi is my favorite Star Wars film. Really? Fair, fair play. Yeah. I never yeah, hear that. I think uh, I mean, I think it was like, I mean, it was the movie that that I just remember watching a lot growing up and it being sort of like. You know, and I mean, I know a lot of Star Wars purists talk about uh, Empire Strikes Back sort of being mm -hmm. like, and I get that, right? The the bridge, right? And kind of, you know, the amazing storytelling elements of sort of, um, you know, foresight, right? And, mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, but for me, I mean, and, and maybe it's kind of um, simple, but I just love the pacing of that movie so much and mm. the way that it kind of wraps up all the stories you know and just how I mean I, I personally especially as a kid I felt like Empire Strikes Back was a little a little too slow right for me it's a little, yeah. a little too Lawrence of Arabia and uh so that you know I and that was why I I just loved it I thought there was so much great I don't know just acting in it and uh was it the Ewoks wasn't and, it <laughs> might have been yeah you know like, you got a teddy bear quality to them right there's a, you ever watched the show how i met your mother you heard of that show i've heard of it but i've never i've never watched it have you seen how i met your mother you know that show i, I know off it but oh, i don't well there's a like the, the neil patrick neil patrick harris's character barney he has like he has a slideshow where he talks about the ewok line and how like if you were if you were born and you watched the films and you if you like the Ewoks it means you're this old and if you don't like the Ewoks it means you're this old or whatever and it's like <laughs> yeah, I don't know, it's pretty funny. No, I, I don't I don't hate them, man. But I mean, Mars is always going to be a new hope. I always start the first one. It's the one that kickstarted my love for Star Wars. And I actually, fun fact, um, one of the Ewoks used to live around the corner from me. Um, not that anyone cares. I can't remember his name. Uh, my mom got to sign one of the uh, the annual books before. Um, somewhere in the loft I, have to need, I need to look for that um, but no one cares about me thank you very much for your time it's been an absolute blast I'll be brutally honest I feel like there's a part two in this I feel like there's some more questions I could have asked um, but honestly I enjoyed it where can fans find you on social media 
Yeah. Um, so I'm on Instagram and Twitter uh, mm -hmm. at real Levi Cooper. Um, and you know, I've been, uh, been exploring Twitch and will continue to, uh, to do some stuff on there. Um, been playing video games right now, but I will, uh, I'm going to start doing some yoga and some cooking on there shortly. Nice. Um, that's Levi Cooper live on Twitch at Levi Cooper live. So, you know, that's, if you're looking to interact with me in the, in the short term, that's the best place to do it. I'm on there a few times a week and, uh, we'd love to have you come and join us. It's, uh, it's a good time in my opinion nah awesome man i'll add the details in the description once this video is uploaded which will be very soon thank you for coming on today you've been a brilliant guest i've enjoyed hearing your stories for everyone that has listened to this episode there's going to be more episodes i just botched that there's going to be more episodes of what you call it podcast coming up very soon but for now everyone just stay safe hello everyone i have a special announcement for my next guest. Oh yeah. I'm Levi Cooper and catch me on the What Do You Call It podcast. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Tucker. <laughs>